but anyways, yeah. Okay. Thank, thanks to everyone for, for, for tuning in and listening. Uh, for those that are new or for those that are listening for the first time, um, a quick introduction on Roots. It's a series of conversations between my mom, myself, and our family to understand our history, to understand our present, and to link the two, the intent to connect us in an even stronger than before. Um, and so we have just gone through a, an incredibly perilous journey um, from, you know, understanding what it was like for my mom to grow up in Vietnam through a communist takeover, through escaping via boat and going through this ridiculous journey of just like semi-consciousness of starvation, of thirst, of, of battling pirates. Um, and we are finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel where the immigrant journey really just starts. And that's touching land down in Indonesia, right, mom? Indonesia, yep. Mm -hmm. Second chance in life that we actually see real hope. When yeah. we saw the, the horizon, there's a shade of the mountain and there, um, there were hope. Everyone was ecstatic. Mm -hmm. And and I think I, I want to start here by asking you about and, you know, we're, we're going to jump right into it. But I think I want to ask you about kind of like your expectations when you touch down land, like what you were feeling and what you were thinking about versus when you started settling into the camp, like what was actually happening and how that may have been similar or different to what you were you, what you were expecting? Well, <laughs> to be honest, the first thing in our head was food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were hungry. We were super tired and weak. And, um, and we were wobbling, you know, for seven days on the boat. I yeah. have never been on the boat before that, let alone seven days out in the ocean in the big ocean that in that boat that it's always felt like you know you are in the motion yeah so uh we just could not wait to step out of that boat and mm -hmm. we were you know everybody was excited but of course you have to have order because you can't just you know you you, you have to to go on the on the uh, single fires or, or double fire to get slowly get off the boats and get onto the dock. So Letong was the one that we, after hours and hours of negotiation, now it didn't take any time soon just because they have space in the refugee camp that they can take us. So mm -hmm. we were afraid again, it's like we're docking outside the island, miles away, we can saw it, we can see the island, but we weren't able to pull in closer because negotiation was not quite finished. So it took hours. Um, we get there like in the evening and it took my dad, I think, I don't know how, it's a couple hours, but it felt like eternity. Mm. Uh, we just like, we're here already and it's hot and it's muggy and why aren't we getting off, you know? And they say the, the people on land have to wait for their commander to the, whatever the procedure that has to be done in order for, for them to accept us as a new batch of refugee because I think there's boats are constantly coming out and um, they got they were getting to a point that you know they still have space but they're pretty filled yeah 
Um, so finally, when the night fall in, um, it was dark, and they start letting us, and agreements say that they're going to let us to get onto the, the dock and, and go into the town. How how small was that for just for my contact? Was it like could you could you look out and like see another island out in the distance, or was it like very small? It, it was a string of island. It's a lot of land, but uh-huh. the population is only a few hundred. Okay. So the population is. Um, I looked up on Google, and I I forgot what it is. You have to go back to the book. Um, but it's it's only you know our boats probably double the the population from that island you know our boats get 500 people jeez oh my gosh that's right yeah so that island is super small and then on the beachfront you see strips of of houses mm-hmm. and um you know on the side two sides of the dock and um when you walk into the dock if you go straight there's a cement uh walkway that to go into the marketplace in that in that town so mm-hmm. literally that's probably no more than a couple hundred maybe a hundred or two hundred houses in that island max i would mm. say but we were we were super happy that we were able to get in and all i could think of is i hope they have something for me to eat yeah <laughs> i am so hungry um, we had a little crackers from the, the oil rig people who gave us, but, you know, that is just nothing. Yeah. But we were wobbling getting off the boat and everybody, you know, take hours to get off because now the, the boat was as a disarray, you know, things are everywhere. Yeah. And you were on it for seven days. People were getting sick on the boats and people were... Um, the, the smell was awful and all the stuff has been emptied out by, by the pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, clothes, things that you sleep on, you sit on, and you, you know, everything's a mess. So everybody was just looking for their own possession mm-hmm. and looking for your own family. So you gather up your family. Yeah. And um, wobbling, get off the boat. And I'm telling you, that feeling it's so surreal i mean getting mm. off that boat i felt like i'm walking on the cloud you know just yeah. like i'm light and everything is moving you know everybody not just me like yeah. the whole entire earth underneath you are moving oh, yeah mm-hmm. and you're you're just like disoriented i can't imagine that because i mean i know i i kind of get the feeling after being on a boat for like a couple of hours it's kind of like that um but like a whole week yeah i can't even a whole oof. week when you're not eating or drinking, so you dehydrated and you hallucinated and you just, yeah. um, so the feeling was, but you know what? We were having smile on our faces because we are not sleeping out in the ocean for one, right. one night. You had made we, it through more or less the most, the worst of yes, it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we got to land and we don't care what's on land. We just want to get off that boat. Yeah. have a stable ground to slum on you know yeah. even just to sleep do you and do you remember things like do you do you remember like the first meal you had like after getting off the boat um to be honest i think you know so so when we get off the boat we didn't get meal or anything right away there's no um 
no refugee commissioners, you know, United Nations, anybody who's there waiting for us to give us water or food or anything. So mm -hmm. it's just a small town that is in the middle of the night. So it's completely quiet. There's a few street lights. Oh, wow. Get off the boats. And there's um, some commotion, you know, I mean, commotion is from our boat. 500 people is a big army getting yeah. off that boat. Double we the will, Yeah, so we will gather on the dock. We get off the dock. It was a long dock. So I remember walking, getting into that dock and it's just walk, wobbling out to the, to the, the, what they call a street is barely a street. In my memory, it was just like an, a, big cement road between two rows of houses that lead from the main dock. And we would just gather over there and we didn't know where to go, what to do. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the, the governor or whatever, whoever the official on that island was kind of, and there's a, a handful of guards, you know, people, police or whatever in that little tiny town came mm -hmm. out and they kind of gather us. And I remember um, meeting this guy who talking to my dad, because my dad was part of the representative in on the boats. So he right. got a lot of contact. So, so he heard somebody um, speaking something and this guy come over and say that, he said in Hokkien, you know, mm -hmm. like a very similar dialect with the Jew. He said, yeah, this is Tonggoknan. It's like, are you Chinese? You know, mm -hmm. so we were like, oh, my God, there's another Chinese on this island. So yeah. we felt like, wow, somebody speak Chinese to us. So my dad was super happy. But the guy, the guy, he's a local. So he's also a Chinese descent. So he didn't speak a whole lot of Chinese, but he spoke some. And he met with my dad and he said something about, you know, we can go to the back of his house in the dock because every single house there, they have a, a, a wooden deck that look out mm -hmm. to the sea. So, you know, it's almost like the, the house is on the beach and they have a deck out in the sea that is just like with stout. Um, yeah, just kind of like a lean-to almost in a, in, a, in a way. Something like that, yeah. So yeah. it was a big deck in the back. So he's mm -hmm. like, you know, he took us maybe 15, 20 people. My family, all my cousin, like all seven of my cousins, and my friends and, you know, uh, family friends. So we got like 20 or 20 some people dragging all those bags. And that's really nice to that guy. That That's like, that's yeah. nice to that guy. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, it would just feel like um, in Chinese, they always say they caught guineng, meaning um, somebody like an angel from God sending um, mm -hmm. to, to meet you, to help you. And, um, so we Cause, went cause to we, his cause when you think about it, right? Like that, like, did he have a family too? Yeah. Yeah. So he lived with his parents and he, wow. so it's very common for, for Asian to live with your parents, even yeah. when you're married. Mm -hmm. So he has a wife and he has like two kids. So one, uh, one of his daughter is maybe a couple years younger than me. Her name is mm -hmm. I still remember her name. I still remember what she looks like. Uh, and then she has her parents. Her her mom speak Hokkien very well, mm -hmm. like she's still very Chinese. So she has really communicate a lot with my parents, with with your mom, with my mom and my dad. That's in great. Hokkien. Yeah. 
yeah, so that's great. and Chinese and Teochew is very close. So uh, that's how we communicate. So when we went to his backyard, we were super tired. And we, even though I was really hungry and everybody was really hungry, there's no food. We just, we just settled to, you know, sleep. That's all we need mm -hmm. to know. We're just going to find a place that is not shaking, that's not moving. Yeah. And so we were sitting out in the dark and it's a clear night. It was beautiful star again on, on you know, on, you're sitting out in the, the bay, the beach, whatever you watch up to the sky. It's another really starlit night, but it was not out in the boat. So that's the difference. Yeah. And, and I think I think one of the most the most beautiful things that like I, I would love to touch on later is like like time and time again, I love how easy it is for kind of like that that barrier of like almost mistrust, almost kind of like wariness, it drops when you find someone that speaks your language that like can like cross that barrier. It like it's almost like the change is almost instant, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you see a lifeline because somebody speaks the same language. Yeah, um, especially you, in that you instance. You have that yeah. trust. Yeah, you have mm -hmm. that trust right away. But I want to yeah. say that later on, maybe a little bit later on, we're mm -hmm. going to see how this relationship play out because um, there's people who are taking advantage of refugee. Mm -hmm. And the trust that we gave him uh, being betrayed. That's all oh. I want to say for now. But he sure. was really nice at the beginning um, and maybe at the end, too. But, you know, I didn't even know any of this until I wrote the book and mom, my mom told me about the story. Oh. But um, so we went to his house and his parents uh, really nice. His mm. parents, um, his dad probably is, um, I want to say, Middle East because he he does not look like Chinese. Okay. Uh, she, he might be Indonesian or he might be a descent from a different country, from mm -hmm. India or somewhere. Uh, Pakistan or some, somewhere in the Middle East, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot. I did a research and it's in my book. I, I should know better. But anyway, I had it in the book. Uh, his mom is purely Chinese. So his mm -hmm. mom... Um, welcome us the next morning when we when after a good night's sleep that we're not f afraid that we're gonna drown afraid that we're gonna you know you know with all those worriness that we just set aside and we were able yep. to get a very good night's sleep I want to kiss the ground you know just saying that I would never step off another you know uh, off the ground go into another floating device again that's mm. that's almost scary it was um, so we, we get up the next morning and I think she gave us kanji, like a very soupy rice the next mm -hmm. day. Yeah. And we were just like devour whatever little things that she cooked a pot of rice mm -hmm. and very, very dilute, which is good because we haven't ate for so long and your stomach cannot really take it if you eat hard stuff right away you're gonna throw up and get sick so you yeah. have to start with the soup so that was perfect and it was like the the best food ever that mm -hmm. we got a just just very plain rice kanji and we regained and i know that i didn't really go to the bathroom for like a week mm -hmm. 
because that was just like just nothing. I was yeah. completely cleansed. Um, yeah. And the feeling was just like, you know, um, so appreciate for just anything, food that we, we were taking for granted, you know, yeah. when, when you are able to have food around. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that's how we started. And then um, it was still chaotic because there's a lot of time you get onto the ground, you have to go register, you have to get all this paperwork and the government or the Indonesian have to know who's who. So yeah. the next day was just like a series of, um, I don't know, it's so chaotic. Like mm -hmm. they, they had people um, that land in Indonesia, but usually they take it to a remote island where it's mm -hmm. all refugee. But somehow we were able to accept it into this island. But it is supposed to be a temporary island. It's supposed to be get all your paperwork and then you're going to ship out to the other island with all the rest of the refugee. Yeah. But my dad scalped around and he find out that if we have money to rent a place or to do something, we can actually extend our stay over here instead of get transport to the other island, which is another hour of boat ride. And that just... island has no inhab no people live there. It's just oh. purely refugees, you know, tens of thousands of refugees that you're going to have to build your own hut and you have to gather on your wood and you go find your own water. Um, yeah. and, and the whole entire island was still very at the very infancy stage. So there's no UN that established anything. There's some sort of help from, from Red Cross and United Nations, but not really um so we were we were buying time and we were we were hoping that this chinese family will help us to find a place that we can rent because mm -hmm. at least we have clean places to live we have um water that pump from the faucet somewhere you know they do have water pipe um yeah. they do have housing There's a lot of refugees so a lot of business the guy's name is Ramad. Uh -huh. um, that is not his real name. I forgot what his real name is. And um, I'm digging out of my, my memory and trying to find out. And that's the name that I gave him. Mm -hmm. um, so so he's, he has a grocery store up front. His parents yeah. and him, they run a grocery store, which will make tremendous amount of girls and whatever. So, and he can't speak Vietnamese. So, you know, and I was able to speak Vietnamese, Chinese, and you know, whatever dialect I could, I could do it all. So, yeah, it's based on so, the number of schools that you went around and like all of like your education and like everything like that, like it's just ended up being yeah, helpful. Just communicating with refugee. He needs somebody who can communicate with the refugee because- That too, um, right that is where his business is you know mm -hmm. people buying food from his grocery store yeah so the the deal is if i work for him i will earn my three meals and then my parent would be able to temporarily stay in the back of his back backyard until we find a place that we can rent mm -hmm. so um so that's what we did 
and uh, I, I was working in his grocery store. Yeah. For, for two weeks. Yeah. Was was there was there any point where like you would you would you would thought about the situation that you were in, where you were at, what you were doing, and you know, you were like, okay, this is it. Like this is this is what I need to settle into. Like this is what is going to be life for me now. Or was there a always this kind of like all right we need to get out of here we have to figure out like what's after this yeah nobody knows what's going on we're all in the unknown territory we -hmm. know that we get saved from the boat we are allowed here and we know that everything's going to be temporarily we just don't know how long it could be three months could be six months could be a year could be six years could be three years we don't know was was there ever like a yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. At that time, we have heard people already been in Malaysia Island for a year. Like my cousin mm-hmm. was trapped in Malaysia for months. We know that at least it's going to take months before we can get to any other country. But we didn't mm-hmm. know how long. And, um, and you just go with the flow. There's nothing you can plan because it's not, mm-hmm. it's not something that you can control. Right. It wasn't like, okay, so like we, like, it, it wasn't like, okay, your dad is like, all right, let's, 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 let's try and get out of here with the target of like going to Belgium or going to, no. you know, the United States. It's just, all right, we just have to survive and wherever the wind takes us, we're just going to go. Okay. One thing about refugees, refugees have no choice. Refugees are at the mercy of any country that want to sponsor them. Refugees mm. are beggars of the world because they are in a very helpless situation. There's mm. not like, oh, I want to go to Belgium. I want to go to Australia. You can't. Whoever like accepts you, yeah. if you don't go, then it's your way of saying that you can be here forever. You know, yeah. it's like people are looking for a way to be out. They don't care if anybody sponsors them now. Yeah. This isn't this isn't a foreign exchange program. Right. Right. So so only good country and country that capable like Denmark, Sweden. I mean, people know that it's a cold country. Uh, We didn't have too many choices. We just have to settle for whoever want to sponsor us. Yeah. Um, And and the the idea is if you go into a certain country, you become their citizen. And if you want, then you can migrate to whatever country. But right now, the situation is to get out of the refugee status. And so that's what you guys are working for. I mean, like, doesn't matter where you go, doesn't matter where you went, just like get out of refugee status, which means just wait, leave that, which means just wait, you just wait, you just wait. You just wait. There's no process. You don't know who's going to sponsor you or how long it's going to take. So you just wait every day. You just wait to see what happened. And that is the most brutal part of being a refugee because you get trapped in the camp. And you are waiting for the UN to supply you food. Right now, they're not talking about getting you to go anywhere yet. They have to settle you down. They have to take care of your food rations um, priority. They have, they have to feed you first. Wow. And then people get sick. So they have to establish some sort of a temporary hospital or some sort in the refugee camp 
to take care of these people because um, there's malaria, there's mosquitoes, there's bugs, there's, there's all kind of things, and people are weak and the immune system is not good. So yeah, you are just in the waiting period. And, and so up until that point, there's literally nothing you can do. Nothing we, nothing we can do. Every day, my dad would go, and the first thing is you gotta, you gotta register, and by register is you have to tell people your name, your birthplace, your country, your boat ID, because you know very much the boat ID is, um, is what you have. So I, for a long time. Uh, KG0108 is the name of the number of my boat and then mm -hmm. we get assigned a number I used to memorize every single number because that means life and dead if you forget that number you might take a long time to find out what it is so what? so you will assign for that family as that number and then um, there's a lot of time that people have to re-register who they are so a lot of people that they lost all the paper or the paper got wet in the sea, you know, they don't have the documents. So they have to redo everything. Mm. And it might take a long time. So a lot of time that people are take advantage of that time to reduce their age or bump up their age. Right. So a lot of a lot of people at that time was doing that because they don't want to be in the working age. So if I, if you were if you were like saying that you're 18, you're gonna say you're 16 or you're 15. So that give you a, a extra few years that you can actually learn right. the system. And also like, uh, I guess like the, the, the helping out, the, the parties that we're helping would prioritize like younger people and like yeah. women and children and stuff right. like that. And yeah. um, you know, my, my stepfather who bumped up like 10 years of his age <laughs> um, so if, if you're 30, you say you're 40, or if you're 40, yeah. you say you're 50, because they were hoping that by the time that they get to new uh, resettlement, um, they're old enough to not to have to go out in the labor force. Mm -hmm. so, so, so there's this like massive period of just waiting around, waiting for an angel to come in and kind of pick you guys up and take you to whatever's next. But during that entire time, you are entirely focused on, well, how do we make the situation, you know, like work in our favor? How do we, you know, how do we find food, shelter, comfort? Yeah. The focus uh, is how we're gonna get food tomorrow. Where yeah. we stand in line to get the ration. Like we got sardine, um, canned food. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of rice and now you have to go find where's the pot you know I know that we did take a pot and a pants from Vietnam out because mm -hmm. you have to have something right so uh, we did bring a pot and a pan with us on the journey beside mm -hmm. our clothes we did have a pot and a pans um, so, so this isn't this isn't any different from like what you were doing before almost you're still responsible for I'm assuming a large portion of what your siblings are doing like you're still, yeah. you know, trying to like ferry back and forth, trying to like get all these different types of puzzles together to just like get money so, so that you can get food, right? Like this isn't- Yeah, there's no money. We have, like I say, that we still have some um, dollars that we we tuck in the embroideries of our shirts. And my mom yeah. had a lot of other tricks that she hide 
the some of the 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 goals and the money in our clothing and things that we wear. But at that time, um, you don't really need money just yet because you know money you have to know how to exchange it. So right now, we were just exchanging labor for food. That's what that's what I did. You know, my dad is busy around to go find out where to stand in line to get food. My mom is helping to manage my brothers and sisters and settle them down. And I was helping on the store. I mean, the next day, I think, you know, I had like one day and then with my bobbling, wobbling body, I was standing outside the store helping selling food, grocery. Uh, because you know that's to exchange for, is the deal. You know, I I work for for my three meals, and then also for my parents to, and my family to stay in the back until we find a place. So my mom. And you're did. and you're and you're sixteen at this point, right? I was sixteen. Yeah, I was sixteen. Did you, and, and and there was no there was no like notion in your mind that was like i'm missing out on being a kid having a normal kid's life oh doing normal kids how life. selfish are we but we're still thinking about being a kid at that situation i'm, I'm selfish i'm selfish well for you. Like, you would like, not if you were I, born I, in that situation you would not it's Trust just me. such a it's just such a different like i i like you, you talk about how you love school so much and I'm like, oh, I had to wake up at like 630 in the morning to get to high school. And it's like, wow, like what a what a different what a different like perspective, you know? Well, it's just because that um, you were raised in a totally different environment, different society, different expectation. And this at that time, I did not yeah. even think about anything. Everything is focused on the family, survival of the family, that mm-hmm. we are a unit of one. We are mm-hmm. a one unit, and everybody is looking out for everybody in the family. And there's yeah. no me time because, you know, everybody chip in and everybody do whatever it is necessary to do to help us survive the next day. Yeah, this is something that I absolutely want to get into later because it's 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 like that is very that for you formulates a very specific set of values and beliefs that you carried with you through a lot of different stages in your life. And it's entirely different from mine. And I think, you know, this is a conversation for a later time, but you know, I'd be very keen to really pick that apart and understand like what's different from you versus what's different from me and why, like, what is the root cause of that? And a lot of it, I think is now I, I, I'm starting to see that it comes from the differences in our upbringing, the difference of what we value, what we had to value. Um, and you know, for you, it was a necessity definitely versus for, 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 for me, what I feel is like definitely a luxury at this point. Um, and it's not to say that like, it's, it's it's not to say like one is better than the other, but they're vastly different. Yeah, whatever circumstances that you were born into or you were yeah. putting at, that's creating who your mindset, who you are, and that's how I I can't even honestly honestly saying that every anyone at that time is thinking about oh 
you know, put me first and I got to, I don't know. You can't really do anything anyway. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing, but um, the, the disciplines that my dad have um, with us, we were not, we're not allowed to complain. Mm. We're not allowed to say, this is what I want to do. I want to just go and see what's going on out there. No, you're supposed to be doing things that you need to be done as a daughter, as a son. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the circumstances is so different. So it is really hard to compare oranges and apples. So, mm -hmm. But, but it, it gives me a lot of insight into like why you think the way you think. And again, it's just like, it, I, I, I'm starting to get that, that, that feeling and understanding, but mm -hmm. now that you've given me so much more context behind it, it just validates it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. well, like, you know, it, it, it's like, I, I, um, I, I, I almost wish I had the ability to understand this at an earlier age because I would just be so much less angry at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know um, what? Every single teenager would, would be upset at their parents. Doesn't matter what I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's very rare that a teenager be mature so much ahead to totally understand their parents. Mm -hmm. I would be a little, that would be a little abnormal. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think I think a good way to end this episode is I just want to hear about anything that you looked upon fondly while you were on that island. You know, just yeah. you know things that you know you 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 keep as a close or special memory or things that you really enjoyed. You know, whether that was like well, the, the, I met new friends. Yeah, I met new friends and. Uh, um, I met a bunch of friends that speak Cantonese and I, you know, I, we, we would just, you know, kind of hang on teenager. You make friends very quickly. And then mm -hmm. there's a guy who also work at the shop with me Yeah. in that shop and he's a couple years older. So I think, but he also claimed a couple years younger on the paper nice. and he arrived, he arrived like a month or so before I did. So okay. he would stay in. Uh, another uh, an island. So there's three different island that they put refugee in in Indonesia. Besides that, uh, the island that we're staying, it's called Letong, right? That's the place mm -hmm. that we stay. And then the other three islands are remote, just refugee. So he was supposed to be belong to. He's supposed to stay in the island. The other island is called the Fly Island because there's so many flies. Yeah. They nicknamed that island is the Fly called Rui meaning, you know, the Flies Islands. Mm. But he also wanted to stay here um, because it's got more of uh, amenity, you know, is you don't have to fight all these bugs. And so he also asked for a job to work um, in the store because they need carry heavy stuff so he can carry heavy stuff, bags of rice and sugars and whatnot. So he's, he became my friend. Yeah. He, he became somebody I talked to, and um, I was kind of shy still, you know, 16 years old girl, and sometimes you just, but it was necessary because I work with him, and yep. we, we have to fold paper because they don't have plastic bags, so we have to make our own paper funnel, so when mm -hmm. people come buying sugar or rice, that we just use that paper funnel, and then you put the rice in there, you weight it, and then you just wrap it with the newspaper as a, yeah. as a wrapping. 
So we have to do a lot of that. So um, yeah, it was a little fun because I think that he was kind of having a crush on me, which I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, it, it was such a different time frame that you get off all this thing and then now you just felt like, you know, somebody appreciate you and somebody is really nice to you. Right. Just like the, and, and it feels like that, um, the, the, that fondness comes from the things that you generally deal with as a kid. <laughs> you know yeah. like like crushes you know like yeah. chores like some of the the yeah. more basic Friendship. stuff yeah somebody mm -hmm. listen to you and you'd be able to talk same age not your parents not about you know doing thing but you know what did you go to school what did you like to do in school yeah. you know yeah. where did you live and type mm -hmm. of things things that we share and yeah. uh, it was really nice so he he actually did stay a little bit uh, in my family, just like have meal with us, and you know, and I think my dad got a little scared. No, my dad is feeling like, hmm, this is a not a good place to have a relationship, you know. And I, yeah. I was really innocent. I just treated him as a friend, mm. you know. But I felt a little bit because it's not just a girlfriend, right? Yeah. If somebody is in the opposite sex, so um, you feel a little different. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, he was only there for a month. And then uh, he got sponsored by, um, by Germany because the, Germ the German come and sponsor all the minority. Uh, anyone that's come to the island supposedly under 18, mm -hmm. the German would took them and under the status of orphanage, even though they're not orphanage. I mean, right. they, they left the country by themselves. So um, there's five of my cousin uh -huh. that, that my dad took with us on the trip, you know, two yeah. from my dad's brother's um, kids, and then mm -hmm. three from my mom's sister's kids, and right. they all reported under 15. So the right. German took them and they were only at the island less than three months and they got they got um sponsored and, by, by the and your family didn't want to do that because that would split you guys right no you can't because hey i'm with my parents so i right. have parents but they claim that they didn't have parents with them they didn't claim my dad and my mom as their aunt or uncle relative they just claimed that they are often they they claim that their status is minor and they don't have family with them right so the so the german would sponsor them so like i said being a refugee you are always look out to see who can take you who can sponsor you and you do all things to be at that country even though splitting out with your relative and my mom mm -hmm. and my dad was a little um not upset but like few hurt because my yeah. cousin just didn't want to stick with us but we can't blame them because we know that no. the, the days ahead mm -hmm. are going to be difficult yeah um you know we don't know how long we're going to get stuck in here we don't know where we're going to go so if you if anyone have a chance just go we yeah. you know we don't want to hold anybody back and yeah. I was I was sad because now all my cousins gone, and um, you know so I make new friends. So those are a little fond memory, but uh, it didn't it didn't last too long. 
but then you know only working for for two like a month and then we found a place that my mom and dad rent a place and that's when my mom and I starting up a new business at the yeah. refugee camp, renting somebody mm -hmm. else's house. Um, yeah, a little and we, and we I definitely want to get more into that next session mm -hmm. because yep. I think that is also an aspect of, of your of your childhood that's, again, very different from mine. But I, I feel like the other thing that I'm taking away from this is like the experiences that you had that are more in line with what I, you know, what I experienced growing up as a kid, like, they were just so much more impactful and, 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 um, you know, dynamic for you just because they were fleeting. They were few and far between, but I think that's a particular level of conversation that I want to talk about later as well, because okay. what you experienced very sparsely was something that I, I, I had the luxury to, you know, you know, absorb myself in all the time. Yeah. And and that is what. And, and I think if you are trapped with me in the refugee camp somewhere when you are 15 or 16, you will do exactly the same thing Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what, that's the foundational block. Um, you know, one of them that leads to how different we are as people. Um, yeah. So, so that that I definitely want to unpack in a you know okay. you know later on as well. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's a lot of better memory and a lot of fun memory because when you're a teenager, um, I have to say, a lot of time teenager are looking forward to hope. Yeah. And that's what I was. I'm always hoping things gonna go better. Um, another day, another day closer to our new destiny. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. Thanks very much, Mom. And thanks, everyone, for listening again. This has um, been another episode of Fruits. Uh, Mom, any final words before we hop off? Yeah. And if you are curious about my story, go ahead and um, read the book. I think, you know, you probably, if you, if you want to, you can ask your local library to carry my book so you can borrow <laughs> or you can go online uh, on Amazon and purchase it on ebook or on a, on a paperback um, but if you want a personal uh, signed copy then you can go to my website leetran.com and get the book so you can follow the conversation and then you can understand a little better um, what we're talking about and I personally hope that if you have a journey, not a refugee journey, but any type of journey with your parents, it's just so good to be able to uh, have a conversation. And I didn't understand how much Alexander didn't, under didn't know and think the way he thinks. So thank you for sharing with me, Alexander, because I had no idea that you were surprised the way that, you know, I just thought that, I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that you would be surprised listening or reading all of this, but. But no, thank you for you opening are. up. And I, again, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's stuff that we never really talk about. Um, mm -hmm. But I think now that I'm in like a headspace or level of maturity to understand it, um, it just provides a lot of helpful context. Um, and um, I think it's, I think it's going to fuel a lot of uh, good conversations going down the road for so, our audience too hopefully they will yeah. 
they will bring the conversation and talk to their parents or their children. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thanks to everyone. Um, have a great rest of the day. And mom, I'll catch you in the next time. Uh, next right, episode, we're going to focus on uh, we're going to focus on the continuation of the refugee camp. We're going to talk about, you know, the foundations of my mom's entrepreneurial streak. <laughs> and um, we'll, uh, we'll 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 dive right into that next time. Okay. All right. Take care, everyone. Right. Bye. Bye.